Father, this morning we come to you. We put our trust in you, our hope in you. If you are the one who began this good work in us, you are the only one who can finish it. We cannot do it in our strength. This is the work of God. All we can is hear, believe and obey. The power will be always God's. The way will be always determined by God. And the glory will always belong to God. So we just want to thank you, Father. We still can never figure out why you looked at mercy at us, why you chose us. All we can say, Lord, now, end of a life, all of eternity, thank you, thank you, Lord, for choosing us. This morning, even as we come to the word, before we pray, we pray faith will arise continuously because only the prayer of faith is heard. Only the prayer that is offered in faith has the power to heal, to deliver, to set captives free. Therefore, Father, I pray the hearing of the word will generate faith in all the hearers so that when we come together in the body or in the spirit, when we come together, there will be that unity of faith which the Holy Spirit brings and you will hear the cry of your people. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> we are back with Ehud. I thought I would do it Ehud, but when I get back with Ehud, the Lord stops me again with Ehud. So it's, uh, I think, the third day with Ehud or fourth day. But before we go to Ehud in Judges 3, we go to Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. If we expect... To have the revival. See, everything has to have a pattern. When people talk about revival, talk about the Azusa Street revival and all, but ultimately, it is the book of Acts. What we see in the book of Acts. So if we want the revival that is in the book of Acts, then we need to have follow the pattern and the ambience that we see in the book of Acts. What is within our means? One thing you see, they continually gave themselves over to the word and to the prayer. And they gathered seven days a week. And today it is much more easier because we have a format called the internet, live streaming, and we can choose to gather. And people who go to work during the day can still come in and log in and be part of it in the evening. So we are able to gather seven days a week because we are expecting something by faith. Then we need to have a corresponding work of faith. Otherwise, don't expect the results. If you want a revival, you want the Holy Spirit to fall, then go back and see how did it fall in the first place. How did it fall? They had given themselves over to two things, three things actually. They gave themselves over to the word, to prayer, to fellowship, and the Holy Spirit moved among them. So when we come back here to Romans chapter 15, why do we do these things? What is the purpose? Because we're going to the Old Testament, but the Bible says whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. There are four things. If you listen to Pastor Vijay yesterday morning, he taught us four things which we can learn from the ants. And if you listen to him in Telugu yesterday, he said about four things we can learn from 
Romans 15 and verse 4 and he used the Telugu word orpo. Okay, so there are four things you can always learn morning and evening. We'll never stop learning. Whichever language it is, you are hearing the word of God. We are constantly learning because you know this one purpose. You saved me for a purpose. It is not primarily the work that I do on earth. That is the secondary purpose. The primary purpose is that you transform me in your image. And we have a model that is Christ Jesus. What does God look like? Like Christ Jesus. If God were to be in the flesh, how would you walk? As Christ to walk. That is the purpose. And even the very work that we do is tuned to that purpose. If the work doesn't change us, the work is not helping me. However many people may be blessed by it. Saul's first three is a lot of victories. But he didn't change. So the works were not counted. So we look at these two things. So we go to Judges chapter 3. We see there are only two names in this entire narrative about uh, the captivity of Israel to the king of Moab for 18 years. Only two names are there. One is Ehud, the other is Eglon. Okay. One is a left-handed man with a right-hand deficiency, infirmity. The other is a huge mountain of a man. Okay. This is the battle between the spirit and the flesh. A picture. How do we learn Galatians 5, 16 and 17? There are so many pictures. And one of the pictures we have been dwelling on for a few days is walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So you have Iglon. The king of Moab represented as a huge mountain of a man. Okay. And God raises up a deliverer whose name is Ehud. If you want deliverance from the power of the flesh. Okay. Power of the flesh. God has to deliver you. Whatever enemy the child of God is facing, deliverance comes from God only. So God has to raise up a deliverer. And we saw that he... Forged a weapon in secret. He goes to pay the tribute. He pays it with his companions. Comes back. He stops at Gilgal. He sends his companions back. Then he goes back to the king by saying, I have a secret message from God for you. It's only one chance he gets. So he's planned it out all. The king takes him. <coughs> he's in the king is in this upper chamber, the cool chamber. He uses his dagger. Stabs him. It goes all the way, even the hilt goes in. Okay, that's what we had looked and the different lessons associated with it. The problem is we can still miss the lesson. <laughs> we can get carried away because we like PG rating movies. You know? <laughs> we may be carried away by this thing. Wow, this is the kind of, no, this is, no, where Silver Stallone and First Blood, he drew First Blood and all that. We get carried away and miss what God is trying to tell us. So we go back to chapter 3 and verse 12. The verse says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened. Okay? So it's very, we'll see this pattern is always there. When God's children, this is not talking about the others. 
okay it's only god's children so we see our pattern there we are the children of god they are the children of israel we are the children of god as many as you received him he gave them the power to become the children of god and when the children of god do evil in the sight of god he strengthens the hand of our enemies okay strengthens he hands us over sometimes he hands us over into the hands of our enemies and verse 15 says when the children of israel cried out to the lord the lord raised up a deliverer for them okay so the bible says when they cried out to the lord god raised up a deliverer so the question is have we cried out second question is why do we cry out third question is why did we take so long to cry out because 18 years it's not a small period of time 18 years okay first question have you cried out second question we need to ask is why do we cry out third question is what took us so long to cry out okay so the question we need to ask is connect, connected with that why do you cry out is what causes us to cry out the cause or the consequences there are two two reasons two things in bondage what caused the bondage what are the consequences of the bondage why am i crying out is it because the reason the bondage came or because of the consequences are unpalatable why do i cry out and there are two ways to cry out is the right way and there is a the wrong way is a right reason and a wrong reason the right way james chapter 4 verses 8 to 10 okay james chapter 4 verses 8 to 10 draw near to god and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners purify your hearts you double minded lament and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourself in the sight of the lord and he will lift you up okay so god says there is a way to cry out how is it you cry out because when you draw near to god <clears throat> you see the cause of your troubles god saved me for a purpose he made it very clear he saved me for a purpose and he said this is the purpose i have saved you that i can conform you to the image of your son that was the purpose and when i draw near to him all i can see is that i'm still so far short of that image and that should cause me to cry this is a cry of sanctification this is not a cry because of the consequences of sin there are two cries the problem is as long as flesh is strong very strong okay in the children of god we are not able to see the holiness of god we are not able to see the righteousness of god all we can see is the consequences of our fall like and it doesn't matter how long 10 years you can be in moab and lose everything but still you come back and says the lord's hand is against me don't call me mara naomi call me mara he still haven't learned still has so 18 years it took them does it take 18 years no how long did it take apostle paul 3 days How long would it have taken Israel to cross over from the promised land to 13 days, 1 month, 2 month, 3 months, 4 months? Let's say how many have did it did they cross? No. 
40 years. You know, 40 years. And the same, this is why we study the Old Testament, you see, because you see that literally the church is with the wall, back against the wall, everywhere around the world. There's no place in the world where the churches really can say maybe a few African nations where the presidents or the dispensation is genuinely Christian. But other than that, there is no nation on earth where the church can literally stand on the streets and proclaim the gospel without fear. Almost all the doors. That's why this is a platform which has God has opened. How long will this platform be there? We do not know. Don't expect God to change the situation unless we go back to his ways. God can wait a generation and raise up another generation. Okay, God is not constrained by our cries or anything like that. He just looks into our hearts. Okay, but the problem is when the flesh is very, very strong, we are not able to draw near to God. And we are not able to see, I am not able to see my own issues which causes this judgment to come. Why is Iglon ruling over Israel? That's not Israel's destiny. Why is flesh ruling over the spirit? That is not the purpose of salvation. Spirit should be dominating the flesh. Flesh should not be ruling over the spirit. Right? But my eyes of the flesh could be completely blinded because Iglon is ruling in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. When my eyes, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What's the whole problem? The problem is with the eye. The eye is blind. The eyes of flesh are blind to the spiritual reality of self. Iglon is ruling. Eyes of flesh blinds you. James chapter 5 and verse 4. It's all written to the church, by the way. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. No? The cries have reached heaven. But your ears are deaf. Your ears are deaf. The ears of flesh is so deaf that they are not able to hear the cry of the oppressed among you. God says... There are people among you and uh, they are crying out and you're not able to hear. You're saying I'm rich, but you're poor. You say I have everything, but you have nothing. You say I'm covered in purple robes. He says you are naked because your eye is blind. Eyes of flesh is not able to see your spiritual reality. The ears of flesh is not able to hear the cry of the oppressed. Okay. And what about the nose? This is our senses. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 13. 1 and verse 13. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and sacred meeting. He says, you know what? Your meetings stink because you brought this together. What did you bring together? Iniquity and sacred meeting. He brought it together. It stinks, he says. You stink. It stinks. No. In the nose, our carnal nose is not able to smell what our sacrifices, our praise, our worship, our ministry smells before God. Genesis 19 and verse 13 in KJV. 
Yeah. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Okay. Another translation will the stench has come to the Lord's nostrils. Okay. Whether it is a cry or a stench, what has happened? They are not able to see it at all. Lot is living in the midst of it and he's got used to that smell. Yeah. Yeah. The stench of the place has reached the Lord and he has sent us to destroy it. And Lot is totally, and he's a righteous man, but he's got used to it. No, he's got used to it. Right? Got used to it. And sometimes that happens with bachelors. (laughs) 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 They get so used to it, no? They stink, no? Unless a visitor turns up and wonders, what is stinking in your house? Yesterday my wife came into my office three times, I didn't know. She said, your office is smelling so good. And I said, honey, it is not good smell, it is the gas. My fridge has conked out and the gas is leaking. It's a strange smell. <laughs> it's a strange smell, the gas is leaking. Okay, but what happens when our nostrils, okay? In Isaiah 43 and verse 24, okay? Isaiah 43 and verse 24. You have brought me no sweet cane with money. No, you have satisfied with the fatness of your sacrifice. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. He says, where is your, where is, there's nothing here, he says. Nothing here. No? Nothing here. Okay? In Deuteronomy 4 and verse 28, when flesh becomes the idol that we worship, Okay, we worship our flesh. It becomes the idol. There you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. You know what happens? We lose our spiritual senses. We are not able to see. We are not able to hear. We are not able to eat. We are not able to smell. You know why? Because we have created flesh as an idol. Look at the children of Israel. Be very careful. The children of Israel in the wilderness, there was no idol there. But they could not see the hand of God. They could not hear the, the voice of God. They could not enjoy the manna that was coming from heaven. They said, it's, it's, we're tired of it. Neither they could smell anything. Their offerings was a stench to God. See what happens? This is what happens when Iglon. So we need to understand what kind of a cry pleases God. In Isaiah 65, verses 2 to 5, you can have NLT. Sometimes it's a very simple translations, okay, where people will understand. Is that it, NLT? Yeah. I open my arms to my own people all day long, but they have rebelled. They follow their own evil paths and thoughts. All day long they insult me to my face by worshipping idols in the sacred gardens. They burn incense on the rooftops of their homes. At night they go out among the graves and secret places to worship evil spirit. They also eat pork and other forbidden foods. Yet they say to each other, don't come too close or you will defile me. I am holier than you. They are a stench in my nostrils, an acrid smell that never goes away. You know, God says, you know what, the hypocrisy of these people, 
They do all these things, and when they come to church, they say, you just stand up where they start judging each other and say, you know, sir, I'm so holy, don't come so close to me. I cannot fellowship with you. You know why? Because you are a sinner. He says, the stench of hypocrisy, he says. No, he's talking about, no. Okay. This is where we have to be careful. Why is Israel, why is Israel had to cry for 18 years? Why did, why did they have to suffer for 18 years? Because they're only crying because of the consequences and not because of the cause. And often we ourselves are guilty of the same thing. We cry because of the consequences of our goof-ups. But we don't cry about our goof-up. You don't go back. You don't back. Even if you're listening online, it may be a marriage. It may be a marriage. Okay. And you know what? Marriage may be literally on the rocks without eye, without eyes. On the rocks. Okay. And you know what happens? You need to go back and ask, how did your marriage start? You want deliverance. Don't look, Lord, this is happening. My husband is like that. My wife is like that. That's not the issue. Go back and see, how did you get married? How did you get married? Was it kosher? Did you know? You were supposed to marry this person. What is the equal yoking? Did you know and go against the... Unless you go back that way, there is no restoration. I know what I'm talking about. To, to get to be restored, I had to go back and so many times back to the origin and put it right. God is not calling us or to condemn us. He's calling us to, to restore us. But to restore us, you have to go back to point A where it started. From there, restoration begins. You cannot look at the consequences and say, Lord, Lord, sell me. God says, yeah. What do you want? Tylenol? For cancer? What do you want? No? You want Prozac? Just take it. Your problem is not going to go away. You'll be on Prozac. You'll be addict all your life. You're not going to do anything worthwhile in your life. You'll always find something to ease your misery. And you will be always miserable. Because, no, you are an addict, addicted to something. That is just to escape. But once that is over, you'll be still miserable. I have come to make you whole. I have come to make you whole. So there's only one way out. It's God's way. Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. Can you put that? Psalm 51. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. He says, no. I switched it up. Yeah. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These God will not despise. That's why it took 18 years. They had to come to this point. And often we have, we have to, we, we may have not have come to this point. And when we come to this point, Restoration begins. David is restored. If you look at it, never to fall again. Restored until God will write the history of this man. No, he fulfilled God's purpose in his generation. You know, so there is a and ruling. And if God has to raise a deliverer, it has to be the exact opposite of Iglon. That is Ehud, Philippians three and verse three. Three three. For we are the circumcision. What does circumcision mean? The people whose flesh has been taken care of, cut off. Who worship God in the spirit. 
What does Ehud mean? Ehud means praise. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So it is a left-handed man with a withered right hand. He cannot put confidence in his flesh. So Ehud is raised up to defeat Eglon. Okay? He's marked by his weakness. Okay? Marked. So the right way is to come the way of Psalm 51. The wrong way is that we do evil in the sight of God. The consequences follow. Okay? They start kicking in. We try to beat the system, God's system. But the noose only seems to be tightening. Until we try to try stop trying to escape the consequences of sin. And we try, cry out for deliverance from sin itself. Then God hears. Then God hears. So there are two cries in the Bible from God's people. One is the cry of oppression, because of oppression. The other is a cry for sanctification. Okay. And the cry of sanctification is what God is waiting for. Okay. He's waiting. In between, he will give it and and all, because he's a father. But he won't deliver you. The cry of sanctification is Romans 7, verse 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Not the consequences. This I want to be delivered from this flesh itself, this body of death. I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. He says there is a deliverer. Who is just a type of Christ. There is a deliverer. If we want to be made whole, if we want to be delivered from the flesh, we will really, really experience Christ as our deliverer. Otherwise, we will not. We will only know him partially. And partial knowledge of God does not bring full deliverance. We will never be able to enjoy God. Why don't people enjoy God? Why does church become a bore for people? Why does worship become so boring? Why does the word of God become so tiring? You know why? It's because we have not asked God to deliver us from this very body of death. So, 18 years. If we turn to Second Chronicles chapter 7, 13 and 14, again, very familiar words. We all use it. Everybody uses it. But note, 13 and 14. When I shut up heaven. Okay, that is a problem. When I shut up heaven, you can stand on your head, you can do whatever you want. It is nothing is going to change. Okay, that's the problem. When I shut up heaven, when I shut up heaven, God says, there is no rain. Command the locusts to devour the land, send pestilence among my people. Okay, now God is shutting up the heavens over his people. Well, it may be raining heavy among the Gentiles. He leaves them alone. It's very strange if you look at history. He leaves his, the others alone. You know why he says, they're not children. They don't need to be disciplined. Let them live that way. But my children is a different thing. I'll shut up heavens. I will send locusts. I will send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear. Then I will hear. 
God says, you know what? We have to humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways. Okay? The other two things, praying and seeking God. And if we don't, no, we don't, deliverance will be delayed. Okay? When we humble ourselves, we have to accept also God's choice of the deliverer. We also have to accept God's method of deliverance. Okay? Choice of the deliverer. Now man has leprosy. Where does his deliverance come? Eat humble pie, pack your bags, go all the way to Samaria. He's not going to come to you. You need to go to him. He will not even come out to see you. Stand there. And he didn't like the method. He didn't like the method. But he was so desperate. Imagine this scene in the Bible. Would it have been there if Naman had some other disease? No. He had to have a disease which was incurable. Incurable. Incurable diseases are not bad if it brings you to God. Okay. If he had any other disease, he would have continued serving the gods of Syria. But he had a disease which could not be cured by any man or any God. So he had to humble yourself and come to a deliverer which was in Israel. And had to follow the method prescribed by the servant of that God. Okay? So you may not like the deliverer God raises us in our lives. Honestly, I'm telling you. Sometimes God will raise us. Deliverers in our life, in a trouble, and the answer God says, really, Lord, I need to go to that person. God says, yeah. And that way, he said this thing, that way, Lord, he says, yes. But why, Lord? To humble you. To humble you. To humble you. But why should I be humble? Because I am humble. Humble, you know. This is the inf- in the image of Christ Jesus. Okay, so we are uh, we are looking at God's solutions, you no? Know? And that's the problem. Israel did not like Moses, the deliverer. That's it. They fought with him till the end. They did not like his method either, the way of the wilderness. Okay, if you look at Israel, Israel liked Saul. They didn't like David very much. They didn't like David very much. But David was God's chosen. Why did Israel take seven years to accept David even after Saul is dead? I mean, who wants Ishoboshet? He can't even pronounce his name properly. <laughs> but still they're satisfied with Ishoboshet. Seven years. Ten tribes. Still satisfied. Seven years. You know why? Because I guess he looks a little like his father. He may be six feet three inches. Got broad shoulders. And that's good for us. Here is an anointed godly man. And we don't want him. They're not interested. And later when that man grows old, they go for another dude called Absalom. Okay. You need to understand the pull of flesh. And what God will do to rescue us from that. So a left-handed man becomes God's right-hand man. Okay. Therefore, understand what Iglon is. Often, if not most of the time, we keep forgetting my worst enemy is myself. My self, not myself, 
my self and my best ally is my weakness it's my weakness best ally is my weakness and paul discovered that when i am weak then i am strong in him you know when am i weak we think god calls us because we are strong god says no i call you because you are weak okay so weakness is not a bad thing if we turn if it causes us to turn to god it's not a bad thing so god has a habit of making making his people weak in psalm 34 and verse 6 34 and verse 6 very f- familiar verse this man cried out and the lord heard him no this poor man cried out and the lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles why did god save him from all these troubles because this man was poor poor This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him. Everybody cries out but God doesn't hear them. Everybody screams God doesn't deliver them. You know he says but Lord why don't you he cried you saved you I cried but he said your cry and his cry sounds the same but his heart is different. He's a poor man. In his heart he's different. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble when we see that we need to say lord make me to that state because you know what i want to come out of all my troubles but make me that man in matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 3 when jesus changes the world forever with one sermon 1 to 3 sorry 5 verses 1 to 3 and seeing the multitudes he went upon a mount and when he was seated his disciples came to him he went up because he know these kind of messages they are not going to receive they are not interested his disciples came to him he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven this is the first blessing he pronounces blessed are the poor in the spirit okay 18 years it took israel to become poor in the spirit but they became so poor in the spirit they cried out and god raised up a weak man delivered them and they had peace for 80 years two generations i don't think anybody in the whole set of the judges gave them that much rest not even samson samson only 20 yeah not even the kings 80 years one man gave it two generations if you look at 40 as a generation two generations had rest because a weak man in his weakness leaned on to god and god brought deliverance that's what god is talking about blessed are the poor in the spirit for theirs is the kingdom of god people who actually have very little strength and know they have very little strength where it will be seen two places one in your prayer the secret prayer closet and one in your word word is not studying the word but leaning on the word the word becomes your staff which you lean on you see jacob will say that i went with this one staff i had only this stick he says and came back has two companies he had only one stick but in his last days is leaning on his staff and blessing his children the staff has become his strength and that is god he said i leaned on you all these years and that's what god is talking about it it it, it the, the word be, has to become the staff 
on which we lean on. And that's what David says, his rod and his staff, they give me strength. Your word has become on which I lean on. I'm not leaning on my understanding. I'm leaning on your word. And that is the poor man, a man who looks into himself and he says beyond God's word and his answers. I have nothing to lean on. And God says, I will answer you. I will answer you. And please remember in Luke chapter 6 and verse 20, when this same is repeated in a different context by, he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said, blessed are you, poor. He doesn't say poor in the spirit. This is poor. And we never, never hear poverty as a blessing. We always, I have never heard any prosperity preacher saying that poverty is a blessing. Poverty is a blessing. Riches can, I'm not saying riches is a curse, but riches can be a curse. The problem is, when you are rich, you need God only in a few areas in your life where your riches doesn't work. Where your riches doesn't work. Honestly. That's a problem with money. The problem with money is that when you have money, you don't need God so much. Because money can handle a lot of issues of life. Now God is not against money. God is not against riches. It's not that he doesn't want to give you. But the question is, God says... Can I bring you to a point where I can give you all the money you want and don't want and still you are dependent upon me like my servant David was? That is a different, difficult stage to reach. So blessed are the poor, he says. Blessed are the poor. No? This is, which is true. Prove to you. James chapter 2 verse 5. Luke 4 and verse 18. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? He has chosen the poor. There are two kinds of poor. One is who are poor in the spirit and then those who are poor in material wealth. If these both come together, then only it works. If you're poor in material wealth but proud in your spirit, Proud in your spirit, then it still does not work. Okay? Not proud in your spirit, strong in your flesh. You can be poor, absolutely poor, can be a beggar, yet be strong in your flesh. But there's something about the beggar and the businessman which is common. Both are only looking for profit. Okay? A beggar will not sit in a place where he has no profit. He will only sit in places where it will profit his flesh. So traffic lights, where crowds come outside uh, religious places, convention centers. So he is also looking for profit. A businessman also will only look where I have profit. So the beggar and the businessman at the heart of the flesh is wrong. It's the same. They're both looking for profit. So we are not all talking about that poverty. We are talking about poverty in the spirit and you also are poor in material resources. You know, when these two things comes, you turn to God. So Israel had to come to that point. Now all their harvest and work is being taken away. Iglon is eating it. And they have come to the poverty of the spirit. And in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, the Lord says, 
the spirit of the lord the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor the poor is both these categories honestly in every country the poor rich receives the gospel faster than the rich very very fast very fast and we do not see this as a necessary condition to hear the gospel hear the gospel in second corinthians 8 and verse 9 8 and verse 9 you know 8 verse 9 for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich no okay even christ had to become poor he had to become poor though he was rich he had to become poor otherwise the gospel would not have worked god did not send a rich son god made his son poor and sent him okay in luke chapter 12 verses 16 to 21 16 to 21 He spake a parable to them saying the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully He thought within himself saying what shall i do since i have no room to store my crops so he said i will do this i'll pull down my barns build greater and then i'll store all my crops and my goods and i will say to my soul soul you have have many goods laid up for many years take your ease and eat drink and be merry but god said to him fool this night your soul will be required of you then whose will those things which you have provided so he is so is he who lays up treasure for himself and not rich towards god you know what happened he was very rich in the flesh that was his problem his problem he did not think about his soul and he did not think about other souls see the richness of heaven is souls the richness of earth is material possessions name reputation material possession that's the richness of earth the richness of heaven is souls and if i don't think about my soul and i don't think about other souls god says you are doomed you are doomed you are doomed you see in the old communist countries you know how they used cuba and all how they used to they knew the ethos of the people are still christian so they used to have to trap the next generation the little children who come to the classroom so this is how they were indoctrinated really indoctrinated this is how they would say they will say uh, can god give you anything that you ask the teacher will say and the students will say yes god answer then they'll say okay all of you close your eyes and pray for 5 minutes for god to give you candy they'll all close their hands innocent children no and they'll all close their hands eyes and say lord jesus give us candy 5 minutes later they open has did you get candy they will say no okay now ask the government to give you candy and they will say government give us a candy and the teacher will take chocolates and give it to everybody it's subverted okay it's subverted but you know what that's what all the church also has done that they connected god with material things alone ask it name it claim it take it. 
we do not realize we took the same thing and may connected God only with material things and we forgot about our soul. And God says, you know what? This is your problem. You didn't understand what was rich. What was rich. So God has made us poor, rich in faith because they are concerned about souls and they're concerned about other souls. And poor people, when they get saved, they evangelize like crazy. The rich man will not evangelize because he's scared of losing his business contacts. Offending people because all his connections are connected with that. He will not evangelize easily. The poor man will go left, right and center and evangelize because he's so excited. You need to see the difference. You need to see the difference. And that's what the Bible is talking about. You know what? And we need to ask, what is my cry? What am I crying for? Do I have come to that point where we are crying for our soul and we are crying for other souls? Okay? And God will wait. Yes, we pray for US, we pray for nations, but God says, you know what? Your cry hasn't reached my ears yet. I see you. You're still crying out for the consequences. Okay? Consequences. You're not crying out for what brought you here. Brought you here. What cost? this downfall. You're not crying out for the real reasons. Okay? And your sacrifices and your religious services are a stench to my nostrils. You're not crying out. You're saying, oh, look at this, look at this. The businesses all are failing, everything. So yeah, stimulus check is coming. Eat it. You're not bothered. Are you bothered about what really bothers me? The millions of children who've been murdered and their blood is crying out to me. Are you bothered about that? The way you have messed up what marriage is? The way you have messed up what uh, gender is? You are the people who knew all this. I'm not blaming India or China and Pakistan and Bangladesh. I'm not blaming Gentile nations. I'm, I'm talking to you. You wrote it in your constitution. Right? That's your constitution. That's not India's constitution. That's your constitution. God the creator. Right? Yesterday, Samir, I should... Samir is very fast. No, very, very fast. I'll keep Samir on this thing. Anything, we don't even have to look. We just have to tell Samir. The second paragraph, the United States Declaration of Independence starts as follows. We owe these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That means they are created. And they are endowed by the creator. Where did you get this from? Genesis chapter 1. Right? That's your constitution. And with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life. First is life. So you are created, you have a creator, and one of your fundamental rights is the right to life. The problem is then, why don't you teach, allow the Bible in the schools? Why did the Supreme Court ban it? You can't pray. What kind of a constitution is this? Your constitution gives these rights, and the Supreme Court takes that right. How can the Supreme Court trample upon the Constitution? God says, do you know where you started, where you ended? You know when this happened? God says, this happened in the last 60 years. In the last 60 years, it started. <coughs> Are you crying out about that? Are you crying out about what has really brought us? And God says, at a personal level also, we need to go back and say, Lord, are you, are you crying out about these things? No? Are you crying out these things? That was the problem with the rich man. And the Bible says, Ehud made a dagger. 
Okay? It's a custom-made dagger. Please understand. He didn't just buy a sword from the market or a dagger. It's a custom-made dagger. It was made for a purpose and it was made according to his nature. We need custom-made daggers. In his physical case, let us say he's six feet three inches and his thigh is very long, so he has to make. Now, if he was a short little fellow like me and his his thigh is only, let us say, 15 inches instead of 45 inches, then he cannot, he will not be able to walk because it will stick every time you try to bend. You will have to walk like this. So it will be seen. So it's a custom-made dagger. It's not a normal dagger. It's a custom-made dagger. What does it mean? It means that every man needs a custom-made dagger. I know my weaknesses. My dagger won't suit you. Your dagger won't suit me. The iron ore is the same. The iron came from the same ore, the same word of God. But our struggles are different. And from the word of God, the promises of God and the commands of God, each one has to forge his own custom-made dagger that he can kill his own flesh. It is not the same. It is not the same. That's why when we preach, five people hear differently. Five different ways. You know why? The word of God is going differently. Each one has to forge his own dagger. My 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 flesh, where I struggle, may be completely different from Vijay's and Peter's and Dr. Richard's and Sam. Completely different. And I cannot say this is this is the way I use it. It's, it's, it's not working. <laughs> it's not working. So you have to go. You know, you have to go. Like a simple example. If your struggle is with alcohol, go to the Word of God and see from Noah onwards. And go through it. Write it down, put it over there, meditate upon it so that it stabs you every time. You look at it and you know, yes, that's the warning for you. It is written. The warning and the solution. Warning and the solution. What are your struggles? Go into the the ore. This is the ore. This is the iron mine. This is where you get your iron. And forge your own. Your own. If you are an angry man or an angry woman, go through the Bible. Why am I like this? Why am I living like this? Why does nobody talk to me? Why does people prefer to be away from me? The Bible talks about it all. And then back and say, okay, this is the reason. Lord, I want to deal with this. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me. The warnings are stark over Lord. I see. Okay, that is why I have reached this point in my life. Because this is the line I took. If I want it restored, I need to go back and deal with the cause. And not cry about the consequences. If I deal with the cause, it will change. And God will start restoring. No? There are no shortcuts in God's kingdom. Shortcuts are by demons. Demons. The demonic gods give you shortcuts. Feed me, I will give you what you want. But God says, if I lock up heavens, you can try anything to any God, nothing is going to happen to you. It will rain on your right and rain on your left, it will leave your house. That's what God says. It will not touch you. You know why? Because I saved you for a purpose and don't forget my purpose. That's what I saved you for. So each one of us has to forge. Okay. And it is the word of God. You want to defeat your flesh. You want to defeat the devil? You want to defeat the world? The world. This is the iron. This is the dagger. The dagger has to be forged from this. It's no other way. 
There are warnings and there are promises. And there was Ehud. Secretly forging what? A double-edged sword. Not a single-edged sword. A single-edged sword is when the pastor preaches and it only cuts the congregation. And he is scar-free. It doesn't help him. That's what Paul is saying. After having preached. Okay. I should not be disqualified. You know what? If I preached a single-edged sword, one side only, it has to be both sides. As it cuts, it cuts you back. Because it's the same word. So he's forging a double-edged sword. And we have to, for those of us in the ministry, have to always see whether the word of God we preach convicts us. If it is, does not convict us, we need to go back to God and say, Lord, convict me with my own word. With my own word. Because it's your word. It's your word. A knife in anybody's hand will cut. And if the knife in my hand is not cutting and the knife in Pastor Vijay's hand cuts me, then there is something wrong with me. Why is it not cutting me? Um, why am I insensitive to the word of God that comes through my own mouth? It is a double-edged sword. Okay, and then let's go to Genesis 24 verses 1 to 3. You can have KJV. Yeah. Genesis 24, 1 to 3. Abraham was old. We're taking a slight turn before we go to pray. Was old and well stricken in age and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. You see, did you see that? Abraham was old and he was blessed in all things, everything. But he was weak. And God kept him weak. He had no child. Therefore, he still prayed. You see that? You got everything. Abraham, do you have everything? Yep. Are you poor in the spirit? Yes. Why? What is the reason you are poor in the What causes you to be poor in the spirit? You have everything. Now, why do you get up every morning and pray? Why do you offer this? You don't have no child. No. So, though we build the walls of salvation and all, if one side is fallen down, keep it that way. One side. I've seen it in life. God keeps one portion of the wall down so that you will always have to lean on to God all the days of your life. He keeps it there to keep you humble because he loves you too much. That's what happened to Paul. He was the closest to a perfect man after Jesus. And God said, you know what? I see you. You reached that mark, but you know what? I still love you too much. I'm going to keep one side, one wall down. Three times I appealed to not to Caesar, to God. God said, nope. It will be a source of humiliation for you because you are a power minister. Your ministry is power ministry. George is preaching the power. Handkerchiefs heal. But you will not be. You will not be. Demons flee. But you will be afflicted. Lord, how long? Stay that way, son. Lean on me every day. There is Blessed in all things. Yet no child. Child is there. Child is not married yet. He's got one son. Okay, first remember till hundred. Now son is there, wife is dead. Son is not married yet. He's praying, 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 praying. Lord, Lord, Lord. Father is not answering at all. Lord, his boy is 30 years old. Not yet. Lord, 35, Lord. Not yet. Lord, 39, Lord. Not yet. He's palpitating, Lord. I want to, I want to marry him before I die. 
Lord is 40. Considered time. See, God kept him on the tender hooks. He had no choice but pray. First for 100 years it was for a child. Next 40 years for the child to get married. Because he cannot make random choices. It has to be according to the will of God. And God is not speaking. God is not answering. So you are kept humble, Lord. Please, 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 please answer. And what does he do? He said to his elder servant of his house, that is Eliezer, that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And I will make thee swear by the Lord God of heaven and the God of earth that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. He said, you come here. Eliezer, come here. Put your hand under my thigh. Okay, thigh. Okay, if you put your hand under your thigh, what you will feel is your bone. That's the strongest bone in your body. Femur, right? Femur. That's the longest and the strongest bone in your body. Hold it. And swear. And swear. That you will not take an Eliezer. Takes hold of it and swears. I swear. I will not. If Even if you die, I am in charge. I will not get Isaac a bride from this land. And we turn to Genesis chapter 32 and verse 25. The man who would become Israel. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. You know what? He took the femur out. You're too strong. This strength is good. But you know what? You're using this strength to fight me. This strength should go with me, not against me. So he put it out of joint. You getting the picture? The picture? Our natural capabilities, strengths are all good as long as it's completely aligned with God. Right? Now go to the book of Judges. Chapter 3 and verse 16. 316. Yehud made a dagger which had two edges of a cubit length and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. God says, have you taken your natural strength and aligned it with the word of God? Till they are one. Have you made it one? Your strength, my word. Your strength for my purpose. Put it. You know, isn't that what he tells Gideon? Go in your strength and deliver these people. That's the symbolism of the right thigh. That's what God is talking about. Surrender to the will and the purpose of God. We have. God has given, endued us with natural talents and all. You can use it for the flesh. You can use it for God. So where is the sword strapped? Is it strapped, girded to your right thigh? It's the question God asks. How tightly are you bound to the word of God, to the spirit of God. Because 2000 years ago, God raised up a deliverer. Question is, will we cling to him? Because he's coming back again. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 onwards. 11 to 16, first we'll read. He's coming back. 
I saw heaven opened. Behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Verse 13. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. What is his name? His name is the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What is his name? Word of God. What is his written on his thigh? The Word of God is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His sword is girded to his thigh. And God says, is yours? Is mine? Have we taken all our strength, all our abilities, and bound it completely to the word of God and to the spirit of God and says, Lord, here am I. Here am I, Lord. And I will use that, you know what, to destroy my enemies. And I will start with my flesh. I will start with my flesh. And then I will fight your enemies. And I can face the world. And God says, when you do that, you will be delivered. Delivered. You will be delivered. And you will be a deliverer. Not only you will be delivered, you will bring deliverance in the lives of others. Lives of others. This is a hood. This is a hood. He had all that. He had all that strategy, plan, everything. But if you look at the spiritual pictures which we are learning out of it, this is what God is trying to speak to us. Because I believe there's only two possibilities if you look at what's happening in the world. Either it is over and the Antichrist is going to come soon. Or it is going to be the biggest big bang of revivals ever. And is holding, pulling the enemy by the noose into the Red Sea. It's one of the two. Now it doesn't matter which of these two it is. Like Ehud, we have to kill Iglon. Otherwise, Antichrist will destroy us. Or we will miss the greatest opportunity mankind was looking for. We will not be part of that awakening. Either way, we cannot miss this. You look at news, it's all the news channels, the conservative channels are all very clear. It is oligarchs rising up everywhere and controlling the freedom and the liberties of people through draconian measures everywhere. And then there seems to be no voice to oppose. There was only one voice which they fear. It's the voice of Trump. That's why they're trying to destroy him. Otherwise, there's no voice at all. Absolutely no voice. No voice. But God is doing something, which nobody knows. He's doing something. And I believe that's the reason he put Trump in hibernation, to make him that man. He has to be a man like Ehud. He cannot be the man like Moses at 40. He has to be like, if he has to come back and come back powerful and do God's purpose, he has to come out like Moses at 80. Moses at 40 cannot deliver this. It has to be Moses at 80. But we are not talking about that. That's a political. We have many political figures also who are spiritual. I'm talking about the church. The church will miss it. And God will raise up people. That's what 
God's hand is not constrained. He will find people who are dead to their flesh, alive to the word of God, alive to the spirit of God and have surrendered completely to the purpose of God. And they look at, they have deformities. They have deformities in their life. You look into their past, they will have no reputation at all. No reputation. They will be like the people in the world. The religious sect will not give them the time of the day or allow them even to preach from their pulpits because they will be ex-convicts, prostitutes, prisoners, all kind of people. But God is forging them. They will be simple people. God will be forging them, preparing them. And this is where we need to be very, very careful. Don't look through the eyes. And we have seen have the pattern through the Bible. Almost every person God picked in the Bible was a weak fellow. He hardly picked a strong man. Very rarely does he pick a strong man. They were all weak. All weak. And when Jesus picked his twelve disciples, all were weak with no reputation. And if we don't see that, we will miss. We will miss. It is not going to come from mega ministries or mega churches or anything. It is going to come from simple people who have allowed God to mold them and the word of God and the spirit of God to define them. And we will be defined in our prayer closet. We have to get into our closets and we have to pray. We have to pray, we have to pray, we have to pray and pray in the spirit. Ultimately pray in the spirit. You know what? If you go there to Romans chapter 8. Got it? 25, 26. Romans about that prayer part. Yeah. 26, 26 sister. Likewise, the spirit also helps in our, look at that word. Helps in our, yeah. Unless you are weak, you will not pray in the spirit. And the spirit won't pray through you. One of the reasons people do not pray is because they are not weak. And the spirit will only help us in our weakness. But if spirit has to help in my weakness, I first need to go and tell the spirit I am weak. Also helps in our weaknesses. No. It helps us in our weaknesses. So even our prayer life is, should be a testament of our weaknesses because the spirit will help. Lord, we are not crying for Lord, we want the Holy Spirit to fall. No, Lord, Lord, I have an anger issue, Lord. I have a lust issue, Lord. I have a temper issue, Lord. I have a gluttony issue, Lord. We have to ah, go to the Spirit and say, Lord, this is my weakness. I have a patience issue, Lord. And look into the Galatians 19 to 21, uh, look 22, 23, Lord. 19 seems to be fitting me more than 22, 23, Lord. What is this, Lord? When you go honestly before God, God says, you know what? Now we have come. My spirit is right there to help you through your weakness. He will pray through you. He will deliver you. He will make you strong. And you keep on going through with that. Identify. Identify. We cannot play the fool with the Holy Spirit. Cannot play with the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says, you know, what, what does, if you look at this particular words and then look at what Paul says, I pray in the spirit then more than you. What does he mean? He means I'm the weakest among all of you. You put these two together. And so why was this man used the most among all the apostles of all Christendom? Why? Because he was the weakest and he leaned on the Holy Spirit more than anybody else. So God's method has never changed. It is still the same. And we see all this and God says, you know what? I'm not a respecter of persons. 
I see some poor pastor in some village in Telangana. He looks at it. Honey cries to the Lord. Honey makes him. I will use him. I will use him. My hand is not constrained. Only my unbelief. Nothing else. So we have to come to that point and say, Lord, use me, Lord. Lord, use me. I want to go through this process. Ultimately, it is one-on-one. It does not say Ehud and a company of the made daggers. It's Ehud made a dagger. <laughs> Shamgar had only an ox goat. It's when Othniel who rose. Deborah could only pray and prophesy and judge the people, bring conviction into their life. Jael had just a hammer and a, a tent peg. No? So it's if you look, it's all individuals. But individuals start a movement. Start a movement. And the world is so huge. Think about it. How many individuals does God need in this hour? Do you know the population of this world? And do you know almost 80% is not saved? It's not even saved. How many millions God needs in this last hour? That's why in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. Everything. But he was willing. Because the need of the hour is so huge. And the laborers are few. In the spirit of the harvest, God says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. And we have to guard our hearts and prepare for that and say, Lord, here I am. Whatever you're calling me to do, you just to shut myself in your prayer closet and never come out except to eat. I'm, I'm good with it. I just want to do your will. My flesh wants to do all kind of things, but if this is what you want me to do, I am good. I'm good with it. If you want me to travel all around the world and preach, I'm good with that too. What is that you want me to do? I'm not going to let my flesh dictate. I'm going to take my strength. That is my thigh. And I'm going to gird the sword to my thigh. And when the sword comes out, it will be to kill flesh. To kill flesh. To destroy your enemies. And bring deliverance to your people. That's the purpose. Shall we pray now? Come on in. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We know, Lord, often we are our worst enemies, Lord. Because our flesh is too strong. And often in our lives we realize we have come thus far and not able to move an inch forward. We have reached a standstill in our spiritual life. And we know it is not the enemy. It is God who has closed the door. And if God has closed the door, no man can open it. You said it yourself. No man can open it. If God has shut the heavens, no man can open the heavens. If God has sent the locusts, no man can save his harvest. If God has sent the pestilence, no medicine can heal us. Nothing can. Only God can. That's why you said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. That's what, Lord, what is lacking. The church lacks it, Lord. I lack it. We lack it. The church lacks it. 
acute shortage of genuine godly humility in the body of Christ. Often the body of Christ looks more arrogant like the devil than their father in heaven. For you who dwell in eternity dwells also in the heart of a broken and a contrite spirit. You who are king of kings and lord of lords, which is engraved in your thigh, this is who you are, lord of lords and king of kings. When you walked on earth, you said, come and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. You who was lord himself incarnate, in whom the fullness of the Trinity dwelt, woke up early in the morning, and it was still dark, and fell on your face before your father, because you knew your weaknesses of the flesh. Therefore your word says you were tempted at all points, and yet did not sin, because you knew the weakness of your flesh, and cried out to your father for mercy. How can the church escape that path? How can the church have any other way other than the way shown by our master? Lord, we see how much years we have wasted in our life. Because we sought a different way. But there is no other way. There's only one way. The way of the cross. But at the other side, there is victory. On this side of the cross, there's only defeat. We may enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, but at the end of it comes death, bondage, slavery, and death. But on the other side of the cross, there's always victory. Victory over the flesh, victory over the world, the victory over the powers of darkness. And I believe you're raising up a generation like a Joshua generation, like an Elisha generation, totally dead, killing their flesh each day, who have no confidence in their flesh, who cry out to you in the secret place on their face before God, saying, Lord, deal with me. Deal with me. Deal with me, Lord. Do not reveal me to the public until you have dealt with me. That when you reveal me to the public, it should be a dead man walking. A man who looks neither for fame, nor riches, no crowds. A man or woman only looks to see how he can please the Savior. How he can obey his master. A man who will say like Apostle Paul, warn to me if I do not preach this gospel. A man who is constrained both by the terror of the Lord and the love for the Lord. Revivals do not come cheap. Behind every revival there was the lives of men and women who was poured out in the secret closet. To say Christ that God caused God to move his spirit upon the earth. I pray, Father, change us, Lord. 
we just surrender ourselves. Our flesh is strong, Lord. Our flesh is strong. So many areas of our life, our flesh has grown obese. It's like a grown fat and sitting on the throne. Found a school summer palace. Iglon is destined to die. Ehud has to rise. The Ehud in us has to rise. We have to forge our own custom made swords. Spirit of God, only you can do it. For this is not by might, it's not by power. It's by your spirit. But through the hand of man. Personal accountability, personal responsibility, personal action to put to death the works of the flesh that the spirit can be manifested. Help us, Lord. Help us. So that then we will see clearly, we'll hear clearly. Then our offerings will be a sweet smelling aroma in thy nostrils. We will taste and see that the Lord is good. And we will be able to sense the presence of the Lord even in our direst circumstances. Because our spiritual skin will be so tender. Awaken us, Lord. Let our consecration come back. We need balm for our eyes. We need blood for our ears. Fire from heaven itself for our tongues. We need to dip in our heavenly Jordan seven times when our skin can be restored. Oh Father, touch us. Touch us. We have been crying out to you day and night because of the consequences. Yet you are waiting for us to cry out because of the cost. What cost all this? Because if you had just taken the heads away, then we would have praised you day and night, knowing this is the hand of the Lord for us. Then in the fire, we would have experienced the fourth man walking. Then in the den, we would have seen the mouths of the lions shut. But if it is not, we're asking us to cry a different way. Before you can restore. Before you can give us peace in this generation or in the next generation. If one Ehud could bring peace more than any king. Eighty years, two generations. How much more can Christ bring? The deliverer of all deliverers. The king of all kings. The lord of all lords. Touch us Lord today. Touch us. Touch us Lord. Touch us. Make us truly weak. That we can be strong in you. That we actually realize. We have nothing besides you. And we need nothing besides you. Teach us, equip us, empower us, change us, Lord.